Hi, I'm Robert Lee, and you're listening to The Word on Campus. This show gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how some of the best university podcasts are made. You're going to hear from leading higher ed podcasters as they walk through parts of their process and how to overcome hurdles unique to higher ed. Welcome to The Word on Campus, where we take a behind-the-scenes look at how some of the best university podcasts get made. With us today is Dave Etler, an Administrative Services Coordinator at the University of Iowa, Roy J. and Lucille A. Carver College of Medicine, and the producer and co-host of the Short Coat Podcast. I was doing a little bit of research on you, Dave, so I got this. You know, Dave, see his role in the medical school as being a cheerleader for medical students when he can point a student in the right direction or offer them a way to achieve something without sacrificing who they fundamentally are, he says he can go home feeling good about the day. So we'll get to that and his role in making the Short Coat Podcast. Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. So where I kind of want to start this is learn a little bit about your career path. So official title being Administrative Services Coordinator. Uh, what a yawn. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't sound like marketing or communications at all, Yeah. but you're in charge, you're in lead of this podcast. So how did you get to this place? So I have been working here in the Carver College of Medicine in the Office of Student Affairs and Curriculum for, I guess we're going on 22 years. The first 10 years, I did not do this. And then around that time, I started thinking, ah, I'm a little bored of moving papers around and moving money from one place to another and all this kind of stuff. So I proposed, and, and, and I had just begun listening to podcasts around that time. And I looked around me and I realized that there's a bunch of people around here doing, some, doing something interesting. You know, they're becoming physicians. They're changing who they are. And so I proposed a podcast to my boss. And yeah, he was like, for some reason, he was like, yeah, let's do it. It wasn't any like, oh, you need to write up a proposal. You need to, you know figure out exactly how it's going to go, all this kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, just do it. For which I'm forever grateful for it because it really kind of changed how I see my work. It kind of made me part of the process rather than being a, just a cog, gave me some investment in it. And it taught me a lot about what these students here at the College of Medicine are going through and what, what's changing about them and how they think, what kinds of things they want. So I'm really grateful for that. I think it's enabled me to keep staying here without being super bored. It's been a gift for me. Can you tell me a little bit more about the the mission behind the podcast? So what was the ultimate goal and has that changed over time? Oh, it's absolutely changed. You know, when I first started, we were going to interview people who came to the College of Medicine to speak or, you know, whatever. And what I realized is that that happens maybe once a month, you know, if you're lucky, then it changed to be more about, even more about the students and what they were becoming. So at that time, I was doing it sort of as I had time because, well, I don't know, it wasn't, wasn't supposed to be my job. When you have time, it, you never have time. And that's what I soon found. But a little while after that, a student came and she had been listening to the show and she said, I think you should do this every week. And so that, I was like, all right, I don't know what that means, but yeah, let's do that every week. It meant the show had to change. I really had to come up with a different some different ideas about how to do this. And so it became more about current events. It became more about how students process current events and what kinds of things they're thinking about. And it, it keeps changing. You know, like I, I'm, I'm easily bored, I guess, as I might've already implied. 
And, you know, I just, I'm always tinkering. I'm always fiddling with it. I, I'm sure you're not supposed to do that, but I think it's consistent enough that, that listeners are okay with it. Yeah. Well, why not? Experiment. Yeah. I, I also don't think that, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think that listeners are, most listeners are completists. So they may not realize what I was doing three years ago, or they might, I don't know. They're call you out. <laughs> episode. Nobody's ever called me out. I have a lot of insecurities about this, Robert. <laughs> like for instance, in the beginning, because it kind of wasn't officially my job, I was kind of, you know, so medicine, I don't know if you know this about medicine. Medicine is very hierarchical, especially academic medicine, because, you know, there's the, the university president and above them is the regents below the university president. There's the deans. And then there's, you know, there's so many people in charge. As far as I knew, none of them knew what I was doing. And I thought any second now, somebody's going to be like, who the hell is that guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, who let him do this? And I remember one day, one of the co-hosts came to the studio to start recording. And she said, oh yeah, I, I told Dean so-and-so that I had to come to the podcast. I'm like, you didn't. No, tell me you didn't do that. <laughs> but she was like, no, 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 it's okay. She likes it. So I was like, oh, people know. And it's a really weird situation. I don't know, like, People know you're, you're all right. <laughs> People know they were all right. You know, like it's fine. Yeah. So, so you mentioned, you know, one student is coming to you and say, hey, this should be weekly. What kind of value do you think she saw in it? I think she just wanted, as a listener, before she had arrived, she just wanted more. She wanted to know more about what she was getting into. The thing about medical school is you never really understand, you know, people could tell you ad nauseum what, medical school is like, but you're never really going to understand it. And I think most people who are thinking about applying to medical school, they know that. And so they crave more information. I never really asked, but I'm guessing that's what her motivation was. Super grateful to her for pushing me into, into doing that. It's a lot of work, but it's totally worth it. When I listen to your short coat, that answer really sticks out. Just providing this perspective about medical school. And also what happens afterwards, that is just not part of the traditional curriculum at all. You know, not many people would know unless they personally know somebody who's working in the field, right? Here's some stories. And at this point, I kind of want to talk about one of the episodes that you recommend listening to. So this episode is called Breaking the Silence, Judge Rosemary Aquilina on the Power of Trauma-Informed Care. A part of the episode is connecting to, to Larry Nasser and the USA gymnastics abuse case from a few years ago. I'm curious, you know, why did this episode stick out to you? It's a pretty heavy topic. Yeah, it is. Not all the shows are heavy at all. I take a lot of my cues from my co-hosts. You know, they, if they come to me and they're like, hey, I'd like to have this person on the show. I'm like, great, go get it. And in this particular case, Aline, who was a co-host on this episode, and Jessica, also the co-host, they had brought this person to campus to talk about the issue of sex abuse. And the whole issue about trauma-informed care is something that's very difficult for a lot of people to grasp. And so I was just really happy that, first of all, Judge Aquiline is awesome. She's great to talk to, really kind of a down-to-earth person, maybe a little bit like a law and order judge, but not as much as I expected. It was just a lot of fun to talk to her about this, you know, pretty heavy topic because I don't know, I think we, I think we learned a few things on the show about, you know, how the legal system works and how doctors can help and how doctors can hurt a legal case. And I was pretty grateful 
to students for bringing her on board. And while people are listening, what do you want them to pay attention to? So I guess what I like about this clip is that there's a certain amount of understanding that my co-host, especially Jess, gets out of talking to this person. I mean, they're learning something. They're sort of learning something new. In Jess's case, she was a physician assistant in an emergency room in California before that. And, um, you know, she admits to maybe not doing as well as she could for her patients. You know, I appreciate that about the show. I think it can teach even when we're being a little silly. All right. We're getting to that right now. All right. As I'm going into OB-GYN, I've been doing research on the psychology behind like why women choose to birth in home settings versus hospitals. And so often it has to do with they feel lack of control. We're in the hospital and they feel like their choices were not explained to them. If they had a differing opinion, then they were looked down on and they weren't allowed to pursue that. And because of that lack of control, even if there was a good outcome in the end in terms of like there was no major morbidity to the woman or to her child, it can actually studies have shown if they felt that lack of control, they were at a much higher rate of having postpartum depression, mm. PTSD. Mm-hmm. And then normally that's what shoots them into the next birth. They say, no, no, I don't care what risk factors I have. I'm not going back into a hospital again. And so this has just so many wide ranging applications. It's not just for, you know, somebody who thinks that they're going to be dealing with, you know, traumatized patients, even if you're an endocrinologist. Trauma-informed care is important in helping patients feel like they have not lost control over their body the moment that they come into your office. I think doctors need to remember informed consent. Mm -hmm. And informed consent isn't just, you know, this is a procedure sign here. It's really at every stage. I'm going to touch you and here's why. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. If you are uncomfortable You know, you can even tell the patient there's a safe word like the word red or mom or hope or whatever word they like. If they use that, then the doctor should stop and explain or see what the issue is. And they're not trauma informed enough to do that. They're not patient. It's about getting through 50 patients and and getting home at the end of the day. And maybe you ought to have 40 patients and get home at the end of the day, but have spent enough time with your patient so that you can take the time to explain to them because then you develop trust Mm -hmm. you give them the control they're in a safe environment and it really heightens the oath that we've all taken to protect and that was something i heard you say there was someone who to get the story you let her she would give you know a few minutes of testimony and then have to go lie down on the bathroom floor for 30 minutes and you gave her as much time as she needed and i i definitely thought of times when i worked in the er and i was not patient with people and i was thinking about the 30 other people in the waiting room i needed to see yes and i i rushed them yeah and i remember when you said that last night i was like i did that wrong I don't want to do that again to somebody. Yes. For our listeners, let's just step back. So I had a, a victim who was rather young and she was raped by her father who was in the room and she was going through really the trauma of publicly testifying and she was very upset and her life had never been the same since. And so she was testifying. She would get through about 15 minutes and then feel sick and I'd say, let's take a break. And she would literally go in the bathroom and curl into the fetal position on the bathroom floor for 30 minutes and then feel ready and then come back and testify another 15 minutes. And we did this for two days. We got through the testimony, but we had to give her her time to really regroup, talk again, regroup, because it's 
tough, even on direct, when it's really open-ended questions to get your story out when you're facing someone, your abuser in the room, and there's this big old judge in a black robe and viewers and, you know, the public and the jury. There's 14 jurors Mm -hmm. that will eventually be whittled down to 14. And then to be cross-examined, cross-examination is not nice. It's out of order. It suggests an answer. They should keep the answer to yes, no, but they can't help but getting angry and Mm -hmm. upset and confused. And I made sure she had enough time to feel like she was in a safe, heard environment. Now, the jury gets to decide her credibility, but I have to make sure that everyone is in a situation where they can testify comfortably and for her to have continued testifying, vomiting in a garbage bag, crying, shaking, that wouldn't have moved the case forward. So you have to have some empathy and be cognizant that whether you're a physician, a doctor, a a psychiatrist, whoever you are, you're giving that person the control over their story so they can get it out in a meaningful way and learn to trust you. So that, that was a very powerful clip. Just so the audience knows, it's a, it's a one hour long episode. So there's definitely more, more to that conversation. One of the things I want to ask you is, is how did you and your co-hosts pre-plan this episode in terms of navigating such an intense topic? So they already knew a whole heck of a lot more than I did coming into the show. I don't know if it's possible to really understand how awesome my co-hosts are. I mean, they just are very thoughtful, very, very intelligent people. There's, I always say there's nothing especially amazing about medical students, except that they really are very thoughtful and they, and they are very tenacious and they're very you know, persistent. And they kind of have to be to do what they're doing, learning medicine. So to plan for this, I basically, I sometimes basically tell them, in this case, just show up and ask your questions. Sometimes they read, but they're also, I I also have to stay cognizant that they're medical students first and podcasters maybe second, but probably not even that. So I try to have a show that requires as little preparation as possible. In this particular case, they had already, you know, really planned this out. They knew what they wanted to ask. They knew what they wanted to talk about. Judge Aquilina had been on campus for a little bit, and so they had already been to a talk that she gave. So there was a lot more, you know, sort of preparation that they had done for the episode. But usually I'll send people a link or two and say, hey, think about this for the show. Or don't. I know you have an exam tomorrow. And and so my job on the show is to really introduce a topic, tell them why I think it, why I think it matters. And then we just go from there. And it's almost never failed to feel like a good conversation. In editing the episode, did you take anything out or was this pretty straight? Oh God, I don't remember. I can tell you that usually, so my job in editing the show is to make sure that everybody looks good. Nobody embarrasses themselves, especially me, maybe. And I say especially not because that's a big part of my job, but because more like I'm I'm more likely the one to embarrass myself, I feel like. But maybe that's just my bias in editing the episode. Self-conscious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing that'll make you more self-conscious than listening to your stupid voice every week. Maybe you know this. Yeah, you have a good voice. I like it. Well, it, it, I, thank you. I, I, I actually have grown to like my actual voice. It's my way of speaking 
that I can't stand sometimes. So I always say that often I'm the one being edited out just conversationally. I do things that I wish I hadn't done, like repeat what the other person had said as, as though it was a new idea. Reaffirm, you're reaffirming, but okay. That's what it feels like when I'm saying it. But then when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, why'd you, why? Why? How is that helpful, Dave? Uh, so yeah, it's a little humbling to edit yourself. Every, I, I've gotten used to it and it's fine, but also it's always a little humbling to hear yourself every single week. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you edit the show? I do not. Oh man. Cause like, I can't, ha- I, cause I don't want that experience. <laughs> you, are you telling me you have a team? Yeah. Yeah. I got a team over here. Well, well so I'm curious about this. Do the, do the student co-hosts help edit at all? They have, it's kind of a recent development to um, ask students to edit. I think that experiment has gone pretty well, but honestly, I need much more help producing. I need much more help picking topics. I want the show to be what they want it to be about and not necessarily the hogwash that I come up with every week, which is probably, you know, it's probably fine, but the extent to which it can be about them and not about what's going on inside my head is probably better for the show. So I love when students come to me with an idea and then I usually automatically say, awesome, let's do it. Try to reach out to this person and and see if you can get them on board. That usually works. How do you come up or source your ideas and how do you evaluate ideas? I'm kind of a news junkie. I pay attention to news in health and news in medical education and things like that. And I try to pick out topics that that I think will be interesting to to talk about. I also get pitched a lot by email and most of the time that's crap. But every once in a while, you know, a gem will come through and I'll be like, oh, this sounds interesting. But most of the time, people who obviously haven't listened or people who, you know, want to self-promote or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm okay in principle with self-promotion, but you got to do it right. You got to do it in a way that sort of makes sense for the show that you're proposing to be on. If you're a student, even at another university, if you're a student at another university or a student here, I will almost always say, absolutely, come on the show for obvious reasons. But if you're a... Uh, if you're a urologist who's, who I sense is you know, from, from Chicago, who's obviously trying to drum up business for their urology practice by getting on people's podcasts, like, eh, that, that's not, it's not what we do. Right. It's not, it's not the mission of the show. Right. Right. The students that become co-hosts or, or work on a show of you, do they kind of just self-volunteer? Yeah. So w- when students arrive here, when they matriculate, there is a student activities fair. We have a ton of student activities. There's a lot for students to do here. We set out a table and we recruit from the first year students. So that's how I get a lot of them. And they may come to me as somebody who really wants to be on the show or just somebody who's curious. Maybe they'll only be on one show. That's totally fine. You know, They've got to pick what they focus on. But obviously, I'm very excited when, when I get somebody who's like, you know, wants to be a regular on the show. That's that feels good, but it's also just a relief to know that there is a group of people who want to do it all the time. Yeah. Well, especially um, in the case of the the episode we just played, right? Just the idea creation and bringing the guest in for this heavy topic for the episode. What was the like reaction or, or feedback from listeners that you got for the episode? I don't know. I mean, my biggest problem is that I occasionally get feedback. I'd like to get a lot more. I mean, I could tell from the numbers that people are listening, but I don't always hear about specific episodes. When I hear from people, I hear, 
you know, oh, I love the show, but I don't generally hear specifics on episodes. I go by, I definitely go by vibes. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you get. Oh, well, on vibes, you know, outside this episode, because I think this one's a very unique case in general for the show, there's suddenly this element of humor and, and levity to it. How did you decide on that tone and how do you keep it consistent with just this rotating team of, of different students? Well, I, I suppose it helps that I'm on the show every week. And so that's a little bit of consistency. It's not always easy when you have a rotating cast. Sometimes you get a group of people that are quieter and, you know, it's, it's usually it's, it's fine. It just feels different. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's what it is this week. It's, it's totally cool. But I do enjoy the episodes where we get to be a, a little bit less reverent and we get to in, engage our, with our humor a little bit more because there's a lot of, there's a lot of funny stuff that happens in life. And I think that's my default is to look at the world as though it's, you know, a pretty crazy, ridiculous place. And look what just, look what just happened. I, I think that's just who I am and who a lot of the co-hosts are. They're a young group, generally speaking, and the audience is pretty young. They're, for the most part, I don't think they've yet realized you know, how serious their lives will become, their professional lives will become. And so I don't want to force that upon them just yet. So I want to have a good time. You know, I, I listen to some institutional podcasts from time to time, and I'm almost never engaged with them because I think they're too serious or they don't show any, I don't know, they don't have anything, any of what feels to me like personality because they're trying to be very serious about what they're doing. And that's just not how I like to do things. My favorite podcasts are comedy podcasts. And to the extent that we can be funny, that's what I want to do. Yeah. But I get what you were saying though. It's just that makes us serious and like very formal. Yeah. Right. Very filtered messaging in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get it because, you know, remember I said that, you know, I was afraid that people would listen. Important people would listen. I get it. I understand. Maybe someday I'll get I'll get in trouble. Well, I think that's such a special thing about your show, though. Just this different perspective that's not as serious, not as formal. Because as you just said, the audience, they're this younger age group, kind of all just exploring the mm -hmm. career path. It's just another a new, definitely different perspective on what they're getting into. Yeah. Ultimately, I want them to have fun with their careers. It's it. You know, there's a lot of talk about burnout in medicine. There's, and, and we talk about it quite a bit on the show, there's a lot of talk about moral injury in medicine these days. You know, we'll talk about that too, but I don't want it to be a downer when we talk about it. I want to talk a little bit about audience engagement on the show too. So a few things that I noticed, you guys have merch. You guys also have a, a call-in number for people to dial on the phone and leave you a, a, like a voicemail message. Usually they email. Okay. Usually email. Or reach out on social media, which is why Sometimes I use robot voices for them. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's, the, the AI revolution has really changed that, though. That Now the voices are realistic enough that they're not funny anymore. <laughs> right. You actually have to go look for the robotic voice. <laughs> yeah, I used to love the... Maybe I should go back to... I mean, there are definitely robot voices out there that suck. And maybe I should go back to that. But now they're also, you know, realistic. It's, it's funny. How did you like come up with those ideas and like just go ahead and test with them? Because most shows, you know, most shows, you know, don't have merch. Most shows don't have a call-in number. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it just seemed like a reasonable thing to do. I mean, if 
I know that there are people who want to know more and I'm always sort of struggling for topics. And to the extent that my audience can say, you know, here's what I want to hear about. That's awesome. That's exactly what I want. And sometimes they even do that. So tell me about this. What's coming up next that you're really excited about for the show? Well, I don't, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Sounds like you're just really, really just rolling with it. I really am. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I have other, I can probably legitimately spend six hours a week on this show. I spend more. But, you know, so that doesn't lend itself to a lot of, a lot of planning. I, I do have a co-host who is really into having speakers on the show. And so he's just lining people up to come and be on the show. And that is a lot of fun. I'm really happy to have somebody, even, you know, he's essentially, he's building his network using the podcast, which I think is an amazing use of the show. And so I'm just excited to see who, who he gets to, to come on. We've recently had Paul Offit on the show. He, he is a um, virologist and immunologist. He's been a talking head about vaccine issues in the last few years, as you can imagine. Really fun guy to talk to. That was Jeff's work bringing him on the show because he wanted to talk to Paul Offit. Thought Paul Offit was a cool guy. But, you know, we post episodes on YouTube as well. And people keep saying, oh, YouTube is the next thing for podcasting. Put your episodes on YouTube, blah, 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 blah. I don't see it, but maybe that's just our show, you know, like, but Paul Offit's show has gotten a lot of engagement, mostly from people who don't appreciate the information that we're trying to, to get out there. People who, the people that we sort of read about and heard about are not into vaccines and who are not into mask mandates and who aren't into all that kind of stuff. That particular show, like, I'm getting a lot of engagement on. I get a couple of feet, several comments a month on that episode being oh, like, still. yeah, it's still people who run across and are like, you, you rod a few folks up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thank, thank you for that, for your algorithmic contribution. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, I would say the comments are 50, 50. Some people are like, oh, I love Paul Offit. And other people are like, pitchforks. <laughs> Well, okay. So it sounds like we're going to wait and see what Jeff comes up with. Yeah. Well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I, you know, you got to, you got to listen. Maybe I should have put that, should have put that differently. Like, oh, well, I'm afraid I can't tell you that, Robert. You're going to have to listen to this, to the show. All right. This, this is the part we'll keep in then. Okay. <laughs> Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I, I don't know if you felt this way, but I definitely learned uh, a few things about how, how you run the show. Did I surprise you with any of them? Were, they, were any of them like, oh, that's not how I would do it? I think maybe fundamentally, the way you run it is, just, is very, okay, so all the people I work with, super structured. Yeah. They're super structured. Every single episode. Yeah. Right? Every single topic. Yeah. This less structured, but it works. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, it feels good to me, except, uh, you know, we record on Fridays. It feels good to me, except on a Thursday when I'm like, I don't know what we're going to talk about tomorrow. <laughs> 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 but to that point, it's like, you know, the show, again, provides such a special perspective. You're the continuing, I think, element through all the episodes. And then you're bringing that, that tone of that humor and levity with medicine. And also the thing I think that I bring is the guy who th people have to occasionally explain things to, you know, so it's a little less artificial than saying, 
So basically I can say, I don't know what that acronym means. Can you explain that? And so I'm, I'm the audience proxy to the, for those people who. So it's like, uh, instead of explain to me like I'm five, it's explain to me like I'm Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that Dave, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, help us get the word out by leaving a review and sharing the show with your colleagues. Our goal is to help grow the education podcast and community so the more ears we can reach, the better. The Word on Campus is a production of University FM.